Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Okay, everyone, welcome, welcome to another episode of Geek Vibes Interview brought to you by Geek Vibes Nation. I am your host, Dom Fisher. And today, we will have writer, producer, director, and New York Times bestselling author, David Shields. And we are going to discuss his new movie, Lynch, A History. And we're just going to wait for him to call in. Hi, Dom. Yes, hello. Hi, I'm David Shields. All right, all right. Okay. Are you ready? Can you, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me good? Hold on. Hold on. Okay, David, you're on with Dom from Geek Vibes Nation. Okay. Dom, hi. Hello, David. How are you doing? Just fine yourself. I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to go ahead and uh, do my little intro real quick. Um, so, welcome everyone to another episode of Geek Vibes Interview, brought to you by Geek Vibes Nation. I'm your host, Dom Fisher, and today I have with me writer, producer, director, and New York Times bestselling author, David Shields, and we're here to talk about his new movie, Lynch, A History. How you doing, David? Just fine. Yourself, Dom? Yeah, I'm great. Um, it's a little hot where I'm at, but, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make it through. <laughs> where are you? I'm in Nashville. Oh, my goodness. That must be toasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little humid. Um, so I got a chance to um, screen this film last week, and, um, you know, I don't really – usually when I get screeners, I don't watch a trailer because I want to go in there fresh, and – once I got done, I was taken aback, and I was like, "Yo, wow, like, I didn't expect this, and it, it took a person that I already liked myself and just kind of made this situation more, uh, it, made, it made it mean more than, you know, kind of put it in a way that, like, I knew what it meant, and now there's this film that puts it in a nice package. It's like, hey, look, this is, this guy. So, what made you? Um, what, what intrigued you by, about Marshawn Lynch? Well, thanks for saying that. First of all, that I, I I know what you mean. Probably a lot of people, you know, they turn on the movie, they're expecting a Marshawn Lynch movie, they're expecting maybe, you know, a sports pick, a biopic, you know, like a standard, whatever, uh, you know, ESPN. 30 for 30, and, you know, right. in a way, the Marshawn Lynch is a relatively known commodity to any halfway alert sports fan. And, you know, that we wanted to try and get, excuse me, beyond the easy narrative of Marshawn. And so your question, I think, is what drew me to him. You know, and I started the yeah. film now, my goodness, almost five years ago. Um, 
you know, in a way I felt, especially at the time, it's hard to recall now because in a way the film seems so much of our current present moment. But at the time I felt yeah. like the conversation surrounding him was so misguided. People seemed to think he was either just being petulant or he was being shy or that he was doing this just randomly. He just didn't care to be interviewed. And as someone who grew up in the Bay Area myself and a very political family who struggled with a speech impediment in my childhood, I just knew there was enormous politics and rage and purpose to Marchand's seemingly cryptic refusal to speak to the media. I mean, when I showed the film in Los Angeles a year ago, an, a rapper from Oakland came up to me afterward and said, no black kid from Oakland is going to watch this film and see Marshawn's refusals to speak to the press as anything other than a black citizen refusing to speak to cops. And I felt like, you know, in a way the film feels very prescient. So to answer your question directly, I just felt strongly that the media in Seattle and nationally were not understanding how deep the roots were, how deep the implications were of Marchand's silence. And I, I wanted to explore and try to understand and then to convey what Marshawn's silence meant to me and means to me and maybe means to him and maybe means to African-American people and maybe to the country. So I wanted to, in a way, try to correct what seemed to me like a false media narrative. Yeah, and um, I know... While it was all like all of the stuff was happening like live, live um, I, I I kind of and maybe it's just me being more in tune and people maybe uh, just watching clips on a one-off, but I, I was following right. the whole narrative of what was going on, and you could kind of clearly tell that a you know that he was just kind of tired of the same questions like oh. How was the game? Well, you watched exactly. the game. You saw how the <laughs> I know you and, knew. Why um, do I need I just I just ran 64 yards and then this unbelievably predictable thing, like how did it feel to score the game-winning touchdown? I mean, how do you think it felt? You know, like it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just unbelievable, the, you know, the cliches of it. But anyway, go ahead. No, and I was going to say that you can – and what's – the great thing about Marshawn being, because you you accurately portrayed him as a very, um, he's a loving kind of big kid of a person that doesn't need media attention to do good things because we always right. find out about the things he's done months later because he doesn't have to, you know, put on a show to say that hey I did this. Um, totally. But what was really um, great to me is it seemed like the film itself was not just an encapsulation of Marshawn and what was going on with him along with other athletes um, in the same situation, but it was done in a way that kind of encapsulates the attention span of our current society 
um, because we know a lot of people have short attention spans, and this film doesn't allow you to sit still. It can, you know what I mean? It doesn't allow you to relax, to maybe wander off in your thoughts. It's it's clip after clip, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. And I think the way you, you did that is uh, is amazing. Thanks a lot. That's incredibly meaningful to me, what you say. We constantly – we even had pinned up on our bulletin board, you know, this idea, the, you know, the film should never feel like you're watching television, that we didn't ever want it to relax into a kind of, you know, easy norms of conventional documentary filmmaking, that we wanted to make a film, frankly, that Marshawn Lynch would like, that we often, we often thought of it as, Imagine the whole film as one long Beastquake run, you know, sort of Beastquake 3.0, and imagine mm-hmm. all of the stops and starts and stutters and reversals and speeding up and slowing down and spins. And, you know, we imagine almost like the sort of GoPro camera inside of somebody's helmet, and you're almost trapped inside this helmet, and you have 700 clips over 84 minutes that were changing clips every seven seconds and so the film has a kind of what would you call it a kind of violence a velocity a speed mm-hmm. a ferocity and so i think you've captured something really crucial to me that we thought if the film ever you know descended into a kind of ken burns um soporific you know documentary style it would feel totally doa and so that we want to make a film it felt as alive and visceral and ferocious as Marshawn Lynch and as a Marshawn Lynch run. So I think that's absolutely central. And also this whole idea, which you mentioned at the beginning of the question of, you know, this unbelievable rhetoric of, you know, sports world's cliches, you know, heavily driven by a majority white sports media, which for me is, you know, just unbelievably trapped into a kind of corporate speak, a business speak, (laughs) a kind of white guy, bro speak, a frat boy speak. And I think it's, you know, for me, again, I'm, I'm white, but you know, I'm trying to imagine myself into a black athlete psyche. And it's like, it just feels so soul sucking. It feels so much you, you know, you've experienced immense violence and ecstasy and joy and pain on the field and you know over three hours and the moment that you get off the field you're being asked to turn this amazing theater and canvas into kind of corporate speak and it just feels so soul-killing I mean I sort of know that as a writer you know if you write a book and you're somehow told to explain it and if I could explain it I wouldn't have written the book you know and I think in the same way that Marshawn quite powerfully, I think, doesn't want to give away his soul in these, to me, kind of white guy sound bites. He just won't do it. And there's something so eloquent and so powerful and so galvanized about that stand. 
Yeah, and, and it Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, kind of leads to like, you know, just taking your power back. We, we've seen with um, like the NBA, the players had a lot of um, power as far as they're negotiating their contracts and, and garnering more, more money. Um, right. and, and kind of have a control over like how they come out and what things they're going to wear with the, the opposite of the NFL, which, you know, right. for, for lack of a better term, it has kind of a plantation feel to how they treat the players and how they talk about the players. Um, totally. So it leads to kind of, you know, comments we've heard, you know, over the years, which is the whole shut up and dribble narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what this film is able to do is the people who feel that way, um, it, put, it contextualizes why they're wrong. And, in, you know, if you only, of course, look at, the one side, you're going to think that one thing, but this shows you what those people are saying and how it affects, you know, Marshawn himself and other players and even coaches like Popovich and um, Mm -hmm. Bill Belichick, whether they don't want to answer these mundane questions. I know. Isn't that fascinating how Popovich, you know, who's, you know, pretty woke guy and he's really contributed Mm -hmm. a lot to the contemporary moment, but it is fascinating how when, say, at the end of the film, you know, that we run clips from Jason Garrett and, and Belichick and Popovich being kind of these grumpy kind of old uncle types who refuse to answer the reporter's question. I think it is fascinating how when these guys, you know, somehow the Belichick is this sort of vaguely lovable old guy that the culture somehow finds or, you know, find somehow whatever sort of likably grumpy. And so it's fascinating how these, you know, elder white statesmen can get away with this refusal to speak when somehow when Marchand refused to speak, it was treated as a kind of, um, you know, as you're almost implying as almost slave rebellion, which I think in a strange way, it is, you know, in the sense that I think, right. I mean, it is fascinating. You quoted that line, shut up and dribble, which is, I think, a line from who? Laura Ingram, 
talking mm-hmm. to LeBron. And to me, what's fascinating about the film is that Marshawn's choice to shut up, he's not shutting up because Laura Ingram told him to shut up. He's going to shut up because, to me, it's sort of fascinating. He's shutting up on his own will. And in shutting up, he's actually changing the narrative, saying, I'll speak when I want to speak, and I'll speak if you pay me a million dollars to do your (laughs) commercial, or I'll speak when you come to my hometown and you actually listen to what I'm saying, and I'll introduce you to my to my to my friends and family, or I'll speak in my own language. I think that's, you know, whoever owns the narrative owns history. And I think a huge part of it is, is refusing to speak in the dominant culture's language. You know, I'm just not going mm-hmm. to speak to you in this corporate rhetoric. And I just think that's just, I just find that immensely moving and immensely inspiring. And I think a whole you know, how old is Marshawn now? He's around 34. You know, I do think mm-hmm. a younger generation of black athletes have have learned, all, you know, they've learned from Kaepernick. They've learned from LeBron. They've learned from, obviously, Muhammad Ali. But they've learned from Marshawn, who's, who's in a way so media savvy that he knows his comedy and his silence, his sort of poetic, cryptic, things in a way have a more in a way have more currency now than maybe in a way possibly than a more old fashioned approach. There's a certain potency in Marchand's yeah. silence. And you know, and he's you know, he's great at those bumper sticker lines like you know, <laughs> all those lines of Marchand's that we all know. I mean he's like this brilliant, you know, poet yeah and, and it, it, it's it's crazy that like we we see like that they are um it is like a, a training thing of you know you should go out there and just say these things because I, I i particularly remember a situation where um i think it was cam newton um they talked about him being uh, upset and about a super bowl loss and him not want to shake hands and then you right. have Peyton Manning did the same thing, and no one said anything. You had Eli Manning um, come out and, and say, I mean, and I've always noticed that they, you know, someone like a, you know, Eli is like a face of a team and kind of a company man personality right. that they're right. like, oh, he's so respectful, and it's like he's just saying, like, his lines. That's all he's saying. Exactly. And, it's, <laughs> and I think what Marshawn and others that are following suit is that, I think the the abrasiveness to other, from other people is that everybody wants to be themselves and they're afraid to, but then you have someone who is brave enough to, like, I'm going to be authentic, and then you hate them for it, and then later on you're going to praise them for starting a movement, but, you know, you're too late because you're already on the wrong side of <laughs> history. <laughs> That's really beautiful. That's beautifully said. I mean, I think exactly. I mean, it drives me nuts when people are called, quote, classy, like somehow Eli Manning is classy because all he does is, is mimic the total corporate line. And that I think that's a great point too, Dom, that, you know, now, of course, 
that Marshawn, in a way, I think perhaps partly because of this film, but partly because the culture has changed, partly because, you know, Trump, Kaepernick, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, now somehow I think that we understand that Marshawn Lynch is almost his elder statesman. He's sort of a mm-hmm. beloved figure, but as you say, sorry, too late. Like when there was actual skin in the game, you know, in 2015 or 2016 or 2014, when the culture hadn't shifted a bit, you know, there was immense pushback, immense sort of racial invective sent to Marshawn Lynch's, in, you know, in Marshawn Lynch's way when he was, right. you know, in Buffalo in the early 2000s or the mid 2000s, you know, he was called, you know, terrible names from, you know, from gangster and thug to more horrible names. And, you know, now, of course, 2020, as you say, a lot of people who had been on the wrong side of history are now somehow trying to get on the right side of history. And it's a little (laughs) too little too late. But I think, you know, his legacy seems to me unimpeachable that he, he was there when it was really hard to do. And I think, you know, he's an amazingly authentic, human being. I mean, I think a big part for him is that there's definitely a racial element, but there's also a familial element that his mm-hmm. his mom said little and was always there for him. His father apparently said a lot and was always absent, was, you know, had some drug problems, right. was in and out of, of prison. And I think this unbelievably powerful dichotomy exists in Marshawn between saying little but doing everything versus talking a lot of nonsense and not being authentically there that I think, you know, he obviously still loves his mom. He's estranged from his his father. He ended up taking his mother's name and jettisoning his father's name. And obviously it has huge cultural and political and racial elements. But I think too, for him, he really wants to be an authentic human being. And I think he is more successful and effective than, than most of us at existing within a capitalist system and still being remarkably true to, to himself. And to me, he's a really impressive human being and a really impressive citizen. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. We're, I, I, we need to wrap up. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Uh, so, my last question. Um, so, with this um, this film being loosely related to um, Black Planet facing race during NBA season, are there any plans um, to maybe uh, adapt any other of your books into film? Interesting. Well, thanks for being. I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else that that I can talk about. I mean, I am working on some other projects. I'm working with Danny Glover on making a film about Louis Armstrong being sent by the state department during the cold war to Africa. Um, I recently published a book on, on Trump and I'm working with a friend on adapting that into a film. Um, Looking on a couple of film projects, all very much in the beginning stages, but I think maybe for, for people interested in the Lynch film, the one I'm perhaps most excited about is this film about Louis Armstrong 
traveling to Africa during the Cold War at the behest of the State Department as a cultural ambassador. That's still that was a long way from coming out, but I'm I'm hoping that'll be out in the not too distant future. That sounds great. Um, Thank well, you. Well, a Lynch Lynch of History is uh, currently on Topic, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Vimeo. Uh, we really appreciate you stopping by, David. Uh, this is a amazing conversation that I've been looking forward to all weekend. Um, and if you haven't read any of his books, please go, you know, check them out. And um, do you have social media where people can maybe talk to you? I'm, here. Or, I'm definitely available not? on Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you just search of Google me, David Shields, I those should come up. All right. Well, like I said, uh, we appreciate it. This was amazing, and uh, I can't wait to see what you have in store for the future. Thanks a lot, Tom. R- really great chatting with you. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good one. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.